welcome, welcome. This is Prospects Worldwide. We're covering the MLB, its prospects you know, the prospects you don't know, and the prospects you should know. From the top 100 shakers and movers to college and beyond, we've got player breakdowns, scouting reports, rankings, and more, all backed by analytics and the scouting mentality. Brought to you by a ragtag group of former players, fans, analysts, and amateur scouts, I'm your host, John Giles. Each episode, I'll be joined by many of our writers, scouts, and international reporters. But what's a better place to kick it all off than right here, right now? We're still in the wake of one of the wildest drafts we're ever going to see, so it's time to break it down bit by bit, division by division. Like every draft, the difference between winners and losers is barely seen. Whether they turn out to be all-stars or career minor leaguers, one thing is certain. These prospects come with some serious excitement. Up first, we'll throw all of our efforts behind the AL East, figuring out exactly what happened with each of your favorite teams. It's June 14th, 2020, and this is Prospects Worldwide. All right, so I want to get to know you guys. I want to let the world know who we are, who Prospects Worldwide is. Uh, I want to ask for some intros here. I got a couple guys with me. I just want to know your name where you're from. I want to know why you're here. What's your baseball niche? What if you were if you had to be an expert on something, whatever it was baseball wise, what is it? And your favorite prospect who never panned out, starting with the founder of Prospects Worldwide, Jake Tillinghast. How's it going, everyone? My name is Jake Tillinghast, obviously, as you mentioned. I'm from Southern California, born and raised virtually all my life. Been here just a few years in Arizona, but just watching baseball, the amateur talent out here is just insane year after year. So I'm pretty much blessed with that. My niche, I would say, I'm um, pride myself on just trying to grade prospects or kind of project them going forward, trying to tr- kind of see what they truly are and what they can make into the big league level. And then just the prospect that never panned out for me is an Angel fan. It always comes up, in my opinion, is just Brandon Wood. The typical why is this guy so good at AAA and literally can't do anything, can't touch the ball at the big league level, can't do anything, just a complete, more or less a failure. And that's my story. <laughs> uh, what about you, Zach? Sorry, I'm, I'm just giving away names. My bad. Spoiler alert, your name's Zach. Yeah, I'm Zach Silverman. I am from Virginia, born and raised Virginian, went to Virginia Tech, and just recently I came out to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Been here a couple months just since the, the COVID shutdown. I love all prospects, but I'm a draft guy first. I love to research these guys and, and write about them and project on them. It's, I think it's really fun being the first guy to a player and talking about their future that's way out and just and kind of you get to dream on these guys, and I, I really think that's fun. Prospect of mine that never panned out, we'll have to go with, I think, Courtney Hawkins. He was the first-round pick of the White Sox back in 2012. He got drafted, and in Studio 42 or whatever one they were in, he went out and he did a backflip, and I just thought he was the coolest-looking dude. Um, <laughs> I think I was like 15 years old, so I wasn't really into the whole – I wasn't as into the draft thing as I was now. I thought this was just the coolest dude, and he goes out, and then he never hit. But he did a backflip. He did a backflip, and then the White Sox told him he couldn't do another one. But he <laughs> he was just – seemed like the coolest dude to root for. So I was disappointed in that one. He's still hanging around. I think he just played in like double A with the Giants last year. But I mean, it's not where the stock's not where it was seven years ago or eight years ago. I like it. I like it. What about, I won't give it away this time. The last floating head. <laughs> hey guys, my name is Chris Clegg. Um, I am from Greenville, South Carolina. Um, down here 
in the good old South Carolina in the upstate area, home of the Greenville Drive, the Red Sox single A team. And so I'm going to be covering them for prospects worldwide. I'm excited about that. My niche probably for baseball is probably data analysis. I love diving in on data, um, looking at different stat cast data, all kinds of that stuff. And honestly, trying to come up with new like formulas to help uh, just understand and study baseball. From a prospect standpoint, I've always loved prospects, evaluating them. And this year, my first year, really diving in deep on the MLB draft, but something that uh, I really love doing this year, and I'm excited to keep doing uh, moving forward. Uh, a prospect that didn't pan out. Well, as a Braves fan, I say this lightly, but Jose Peraza, um, there was all the hype in the world around him. The Braves were reluctant to trade him um, because – that he was going to be the next big thing. I remember a couple of deals they had talked about, and the Braves just refused to deal Peraza. Now he's bumped around a couple times. Um, who knows what will happen. But as a Braves fan, I'll chalk up that one as a semi-bust. I know he's made some – he's done decent at the MLB level, so I won't call him a full bust. But as a Braves fan, got to call that as my – uh, most hurtful bust from a prospect. You gotta love the hit tool, at least though. He he had that. He sure did. And I, I feel you on the uh, creating formulas. I nerded out at my maximum when I was in a, a online fictional baseball league on CSFBL, uh, computer simulated fictional baseball league, and I created a war formula just so I could figure out what free agents were best. And it was just total garbage, total nonsense. It had nothing to do with anything. But I, I had that that little advantage, and that's all that mattered. Yeah, whatever works. And I guess I will answer the same questions. John Giles from Charlotte, North Carolina. I am – you guys all answered very eloquent questions. My The only thing I'm an expert in is the Baltimore Orioles from 2012 to 2016. That era of baseball for me, five years of being the best team in the American League, I couldn't ask for a better way to spend my 20s. And 2012, I was alone in Alaska for a year, and that was a beautiful time to just pick up Orioles baseball again and fall in love again. So it's been it's been rough since 2016, but I had a good five-year stretch. My prospect who never panned out came from that 2012 year. Orioles drafted Adrian Maureen, shortstop second baseman out of high school, and he just never amounted to really much anything. But uh, I have his jersey signed by him off a team that he never actually played for, the Aberdeen Ironbirds. Uh, long story short, I'll dive into that on another podcast. He's always been my favorite for the sole purpose of if he ever gets big, I have his autograph. <laughs> well, guys, you know why we're all here. We're here to break down the draft. We're starting with the AL East this year. We want to make sure we hit who got drafted, who your potential stars are, what you think about these players, how the teams did. You know, some teams, it's hard to see who's a winner and a loser. Inevitably, some teams are. You're going to be able to say that this team knocked it out of the park. And in five years, sure, we might be wrong. But right now, we're right. <laughs> I can promise you, we're right. Uh, so we're going to start in the AL East, like I said. And we'll start with the second overall pick in the draft, the Baltimore Orioles. People thought it was going to be Austin Martin. Maybe they would get cute and go Nick Gonzalez or Asa Lacey. I wouldn't have blinked twice if they went Zach Veen. But they decided to jump all the way down the MLB big board to Arkansas outfielder Heston Kierstad, surprising pretty much everyone. What do you guys got? Tell me about him. He's really powerful. I grade him as a 70 future power. I think he's going to struggle a little bit versus Tyler Velocity. He, his swings are a little handsy. 
has a lot of movement. He covers the plate really, really well. Battles off some tough pitches and makes some decent contact. He's got a strong arm out and right. The range is pretty average. I think he should be able to stick out there. He crushes low balls. I really think he's going to be a low ball hitter. And in Camden, that's going to be big. And just the fact that they underslotted him trying to get Bitsko at 30, it didn't really pan out, but we'll kind of touch on that a, a bit later. I think one of the interesting thing about Kerstad is I think that the swing is handsy. And typically you look, oftentimes when you're projecting on these college hitters, you'll look at the strikeout to walk ratio. You'll look at the plate discipline. And with Kerstad, it's a little weaker. He, he's, he strikes out more than he walks, and it's not typically something you want to see at the top of the draft. But one thing you can't really deny about Kerstad is he was born to hit. I mean, he the kid has not stopped hitting. He's hit in the SEC. He's hit with the collegiate national team. And it's it makes you want to forgive those little, those little swing and miss questions just because he's hit at so consistently at such a high level. If we were talking 10 picks later, I would love this pick. If we're talking maybe seven or eight picks later, I'd still love this pick. With at, at number two, though, I think you're right about the swing and miss. It's not. I don't think he's going to swing and miss a lot. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue for him. I think he's going to put put up high on base percentages in the major league level. But I think at number two, the microscope is huge. And as you said, there, it, it's a handsy swing. You got to be a little bit. You got to wonder just a little bit whether there's going to be some risk here. But there's there's no question, at least in my mind, that this kid's a hitter. If there's swing and miss issues. How does he fit into that long-term plan in the Orioles? Because you got Yusniel Diaz, Trey Mancini, Ryan McKinnon, Austin Hayes. It seems like they already had kind of the building of an outfield of the future. Is he just going to be a DH? Is he going to play? Oh, he'll totally play. I mean, he's going to hit. And when someone hits, you find a spot for him. I think I think he'll totally fit into the future. And again, you don't draft for need. This is, this is a point where if you have too many guys who are hitting at once, maybe you have three outfielders and a DH who can all hit and you can't find a spot for Kirstad. That's a good problem to have. You can deal someone away. You can get creative. I think I think he fits firmly into that picture. They'll they'll find a spot for him, whether that's in left field, whether that's in right field. I mean, he's. I think he'll be at as you said, Jake. I think he'll be adequate in right field. But th- I think they're going to find a spot with him. And I don't think the hit swing and miss issues are so serious that you're going to be worried about that. Yeah, I mean, playing in the SEC at one of the highest level of competition in college ball. I mean, he's shown the ability to hit. For average, there are some holes in the swing. It's very handsy, kind of funky, erratic swing, as you might say. But the power's there, and we know in today's game that the power is is really king. And so he's gonna play. He's gonna hit. I don't love the pick by any means. If if I was the Orioles and gonna underslot somebody, I'm just looking at somebody like Nick Gonzalez, maybe. But I don't know. It was a surprise. It shocked virtually everybody. I think if any analyst pegged this pick, then I give you kudos because I did not see this coming by. This was a blind side for sure, but it is what it is. They tried to play their cards. I'm not sure if they played them exactly how they wanted to trying to underslot later, underslot first to get, we talked about bits go later, but Kerstad's going to play. He's going to hit, he's got 35 home run potential power, I think. And the bat plays very well in Camden yards. So while I don't love the pick, I'm not going to chalk it up as a complete horrible pick there. I think it's it's serviceable. It's not great, but it's serviceable. Okay. Okay. And another thing I think to touch on with those outfielders in that system, they got a lot of right-handed hitters, which they, you know, obviously Chris has a left-handed hitter. So, and in Camden, it's going to play a lot better out there. So I definitely think um, Zach touched on, he definitely will find a spot if you can hit. They're going to find a spot for you in Orioles drafted a hitter. But as Chris touched on, I was rooting for Gonzalez at two. I really thought it was going to happen. With all the under talk or under slot talk at two and trying to get Bitsko and all that, I really thought it was going to happen, but they obviously thought a little different and went with Kerstad. So they underslotted to try to sign, you know, Bitsko. 
but obviously that didn't work out. So he, he ended up going a little bit later. So what happens next? They go through and, and they're going to get that star high school that they can pay extra money, right? No, they go out and get Jordan Westberg, Mississippi State, ready to play shortstop. He's an actual legitimate shortstop. I don't understand. Why Why not pay a high schooler? That was something that actually surprised me because Jared Ke- Nick Bisco might not have been on the board, but Jared Kelly was. And I don't know how you can not like Jared Kelly. He doesn't quite have the breaking ball that Nick Bisco does. But if you've ever seen him throw, it looks like he's just kind of tossing the ball. He just kind of steps and just kind of tosses the ball, and then it's 98. And you're like, what, what just happened? It, I've never seen somebody touch the upper 90s with such little effort. I was surprised they didn't go for Jared Kelly at 30 because it – I actually liked him better than Bitsko. I'd rather have Jared Kelly than Nick Bitsko. And, and the White Sox took Kelly at 47, so obviously there was a little bit of potential for signing. Heck, the Orioles took two players in between. They got Jordan Westberg at 30. They got Hudson Haskin at 39. Yeah, I think with the, when it comes to Kelly, it just comes a lot down to new movement with Rob Soto, all the new metrics and stuff, and he just didn't really grade out too highly when it came down to it. And a lot of these new guys that are kind of popping up with Bitsko posting all his stuff on social media is really just kind of popped up. And in my opinion, he was the best prep pitcher in the draft, but I can't really argue with Kelly's potential. And really it's just more of that old school kind of vibe to him. And I think that's a little less liked in the game right now, but I still think there's going to be a lot of potential to come with them. Oh, yeah. Kelly's an old school guy for sure. So guys, I hate to do it. They didn't draft Kelly. <laughs> they avoided Kelly. They got Jordan Westberg, and then they got Hudson Haskin. We got any information there. I know Haskin's got an ugly swing. I got. I know Westberg. I thought he was ready. I thought he's only like a year away from major leagues. Give me something. Give me some guts. Did the Orioles do good with these picks? The Westberg pick, it wasn't terrible. I, I don't hate it as much as everyone's kind of making it out to be. Yeah, it was a college bat when they kind of should have went under slot, but it kind of helped them to kind of do what they wanted to do later in the draft. So I don't hate it as much as, like I said, as other people are. But he's, like you said, he's definitely going to stick at shortstop. Got a strong arm, quick feet. At the plate, I'm a little worried just really with almost the whole part of his game. He doesn't really use his lower body really well. He attacks the ball out front, shifts his weight pretty early and just loses a lot of power due to it. And when he moves the wooden bats, I think it's going to cost him a whole lot more. Just with the advanced pitching and all, it's just going to be tough to pick up spin and kind of really barrel balls up. Uh, the comp I have on him is Zach Cozart, just a little bit taller, but I think overall the game is pretty similar. I think you hit the nail on the head with that description of Westberg. I mean, he's a great athlete, no doubt, but it, it, the actions are just a little bit rigid in the box. But the, the good news is he did hit well on the Cape. He's shown the ability to perform at a high level at times. He's, he's definitely a streakier hitter. And I think I'm on the same page as you. I, I think it was. I think he's a solid player. I think he's got high upside. I don't love the pick. But he, he did hit on the Cape. And he's, he's a good enough athlete that you think you can uh, change up his swing a little bit mechanically, smooth him out a little bit, and hopefully get, as you said, that Zach Kozar kind of projection. Yeah, I mean, he... Swings at a lot of pitches, which is my concern. The, the pick kind of felt like a, a floor pick um, more than an upside play. I think the power's kind of limited. I don't think you're looking at much of a threat on the power side. He swings at about everything, so he's got to adjust and see the ball better out of pitcher's hands. And he also pulls like almost everything he makes contact on. And so there's some, some work that needs to be done. I just don't see it much upside, maybe more of a floor pick. But the hit tool is respectable. I mean, he's he's hit... Again, in the SEC, one of the higher levels of college ball, he hit in the Cape. He just needs some adjust- to make some adjustments if we want to see, I think, relevance in the MLB. So they go SEC, SEC. Next up, what is it? I don't even know. Conference USA, American. What is Tulane? Hudson Haskin. What type of competition does he have? That 
he has results, but I don't even know if he's playing against good teams. Well, I think speaking on speaking on you know needing mechanical refinements, I think if you're going to talk about anybody that needs mechanical refinements, you got Hudson Haskin. I mean, he is hit, and it's kind of like Heston Kerstad light. I mean, he is hit, and he put up a great track record at Tulane. He hit in the North, uh, the New England Collegiate League, but you look at his swing; it's very choppy. He kind of dives on the ball. It relies a lot on pitch recognition. He sees the ball in, he sees the ball down, and he just kind of goes at it with his whole body, not just his arms, not just his hands. He kind of dives in on the pitch, and it's worked for him to this point. And even in the Conference USA where Tulane is playing, you're not you're facing good competition. So it's clear that this isn't a total loss in terms of those mechanics. He can hit, and he hit in the New England Collegiate League. A lot of people have thrown Hunter Pence comps on him. I think that works. I think it's, it's an easy comparison because... Both of them have those kind of the, the just not visually appealing swings. Oh, you can call it ugly. It's ugly. <laughs> yeah, it's ugly. But I mean, you know what's not ugly are the numbers he put up. Oh, yeah. So the Hunter Pence comp, I think it works. I don't think he has quite as much power as Hunter Pence, but he's, he's an athletic kid. He, he's got some speed, should stick in center field. Yeah, it, it's, it remains to be seen whether what they're going to have to do with this swing. I think they're going to have to change it at least a little bit because I don't think you can dive in. And you might be able to dive in when you're facing 89 mile an hour fastballs in the CUSA. But when that 89 suddenly flips around and it's 98 and you got an 89 mile an hour slider coming and now I don't think you can be as much of a, a guess hitter as he is. But you can't argue, at least with the results. I mean, the kid, it's not just that he's hit well. He's hit exceptionally well. I only watched a little bit of video on him and my exact notes on that were precisely what you said. It was, I can't wait to see him see a fastball followed by an off speed because he's just going to be falling on his face. I wouldn't be that mean about it. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) oh, I'm a mean person. Sorry. In case you didn't recognize who I am, I'm, I'm just a, not a nice person. So get to Uh, know me. Yeah, that's good to know. Uh, Now, one video I did like Anthony Servideo. I don't know if it was just short season from the beginning, but I was watching his 2020 at Ole Miss. And ding, 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 ding. He was hitting every single ball. It was beautiful to watch. I was looking at his numbers. He was the most productive player in NCAA in that short season all year. Yeah, he's he's an exciting player. He's honestly really exciting. He's got a lot of passion, plays with a whole lot of electricity. Definitely profiles, in my opinion, as a leadoff hitter. If not, he's going to probably be towards the bottom of the lineup because he just doesn't have much power at all. But he's got a good hit tool. I grade him as a 55 hit, uh, 35 power, 70 run. I don't think he can stick at shortstop long-term, especially with that depth in the system, as we kind of touched on earlier. He's probably looking at a move to second base, maybe to the left field. I think, honestly, in the long-term, looking at a utility role, kind of in the role that we have yet to see happen, but with the Rockies, uh, Garrett Hampson, hmm. kind of in a role like that, um, as kind of playing a little bit of the infield, a little bit of the outfield, kind of get some um, excitement on the field, steal some bases, not going to hit for a ton of power. Yeah. I'm a little bit surprised. You're pretty low on his defense. I've seen much better out of, out of his defense. I think may, he might not be a lock for shortstop, especially in the system, as you said. But, I mean, that, that kid's got really quick twitch actions. He's a great athlete. He's got he's got plus speed. I think at, at a minimum, I think he'll end up at second base. I, I think he has a chance to stick it short, but I think he can be well above average at second base. I, I got to... That's fair. I mean, I, I think the arm kind of doesn't play in the outfield either, but it's more just like a left field. And I just don't think that he's in a hit fully long-term and just have enough power to kind of stick as a everyday player, which is kind of my thought process there. But I definitely think he has tools. Like I said, I think it's just the arm, in my opinion, that won't be able to stick it short. And I just don't think he matches up with Westberg just within the draft process. I don't think he's on the same level, just in my eyes on defense. I guess we'll see. <laughs> uh, so we went college, or the Orioles went college, college, college. 
They were still waiting to do that overslot deal. They have to sign someone with that money they saved from Kirstad. It finally came in with the last two picks, Kobe Mayo and Carter Baumler. Tell me about these high school kids. Was it worth that money? They saved money from Kirstad. They spent it here. Yeah, finally the picks we were waiting for after they underslot and underslot and feel like they underslot again. Finally get some upside play, I think. I really like Mayo's value. He has first round potential, in my opinion, just just from a pure talent level. Big time power. His exit velocity was elite off the charts. And so, like you said, position, not really sure, but I think that they got good value here. And so the the power's gonna play in Camden. And this is what we were waiting for after <laughs> we were wondering what the Orioles were doing for so long. And so I like the pick. I like what they did. I like the value they got there at uh, pick 103. Oh, yeah, totally. The dude's, the dude's a beast. I mean, he's 6'5". He's got long arms. It creates a ton of leverage with the, with the big frame. I think we want to continue on the theme of the kind of uglier swings. It's, it's a choppy swing. He kind of gets out in front. He's, he's obviously going to need to smooth that out a little bit, add a little bit more loft. But you're totally right. I think the upside is tremendous with this pick. He can he can hit the ball as far as pretty much anybody in this class, maybe maybe except Blaze Jordan, who we'll talk about later. But I think you're totally right. This is a pick to be excited about. He he's another guy who plays with flair. He he has fun. He bat flips. He's he's an exciting player to watch for sure. Yeah, I have him okay. graded. Okay, I like yeah, that. I do too. I have him down as a seventy grade, whether it's raw power, but I think that it's gonna turn out in game power too down the line. He definitely has the tools to let it work and the swing definitely has it to match. So I see him definitely being an impact in that system. I'm not too sure he can stick at third base long-term with that frame. Regardless, he's in a hit, and he's a hit for a lot of power. Especially given the way we're shifting nowadays. Oh, yeah. Um, so so Carter Bomber is kind of the opposite of Kobe Mayo in terms of a player. I mean, Kobe Mayo, you've got this big, exciting power hitter who's got swing and miss concerns. Hopefully he irons those out, but it's, it's a high high ceiling, low floor. I think Carter Baumler is kind of the opposite. He's a very polished uh, right-handed pitcher out of Iowa. Low 90s fastball, two, two solid off-speed off pitches. But he's, he's more polished than boom bust. He knows how to pitch. He's the kind of guy that if he went to TCU and just performed for three years, then he could have emerged a higher pick. He, he's the kind of guy, he's, he's not going to need a ton of refinement in the, in the minor leagues. I mean, that doesn't mean he'll move quickly. These are all, this is a high school right-handed pitcher we're talking about. But it means he, he's going to progress at kind of a natural, a natural pace, kind of got that mid-rotation kind of upside. Um, but it's, it's definitely a fun guy to watch. He's got a really clean, I love his delivery. It's a really clean arm action. Injury risk with these high school pitchers is always a huge question mark. But in t- if you want to take a guess at it, Baumler probably has lower injury risk. It's a cold weather arm, fewer miles on the arm, clean delivery. I think this is this is a very kind of, as far as high school pitchers go, it's a safe play, kind of number three, number four starter type. You don't you don't hear polished high schooler very often. That this is this is exciting for the Orioles. Totally. Yeah, I agree. He's definitely really good. He definitely has a lot of talent. Um, he signed over the over the weekend for one point five million. Big for the Orioles. Uh, not many people thought they would kind of be able to do that, be able to take him away from TCU. Kind of the reason why he fell to the fifth round, but. Orioles, as we mentioned before, finally were able to spend that money and lock him in. So I definitely think he's polished. He has some, some work to do, I think, with his third pitch. But like you said, he definitely has a good feel for pitching. And with that, I think it'll come. His repeatable delivery, good arm action. So I think he can add a good uh, good change up in the future and definitely give him a chance to stick at the starter. And if not, he's got really lights out stuff. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him in a bullpen. Okay. So overall in this in this draft for the Orioles, the key cog is how Kierstad turns out. Because if, if he fails and Austin Martin turns into some sort of stud, it's going to look really bad. 
I just want to do a real quick Kirstad by himself. What was your grade on the pick? Um, by itself, not with what they got. I would just straight up by himself without any thinking you could still get bits. Uh, I'll say it was with, I'll say, I'll say a C plus. I would have, I would have preferred, like I said, I would have got Nick Gonzalez. I think the bat plays really well as does Kirstad's there, but I think the infield fit was just too good. But we'll see. What about as soon as Bitsko went off the board? Same. Give me a grade. As soon as Bitsko went off the board, their plan immediately went off the rails. So I'll have to say at that point, it moves to a D. All right. Now they draft Mayo and Baumler, two guys they didn't expect to draft. Uh, overall, is what you're getting to. I'll probably say overall draft, I'll give them a B because I think they made it work. Definitely wasn't too enticed when it got towards those middle rounds, but they definitely hit the nail on the head with uh, Mayo and Balmer. Okay. Solid draft out of the Orioles. Let's move on to the AL East team who picked next, the Blue Jays. And as we said earlier, they had probably the easiest decision in the entire draft, selecting Austin Martin fifth overall. He's a stud and a virtual lock for the number two pick. He fell all the way to five, which probably gave the, the Blue Jays a little bit of trouble because it twisted their draft plans. They're now forced to underslot later in the, in the rounds. Tell me about Austin Martin. Well, I think if anybody's going to wreck your draft plans, I'd, I'd be happy to have it be Austin Martin. If Austin Martin means I have to underslot the rest of the draft, I think that's a problem I'd love to have. Austin Martin is, I mean, Spencer Torkelson's the, the, uh, the best player in this class, but I think Austin Martin, when you're talking all-around talent, I think Austin Martin is the best we got. The kid makes such easy, easy, easy contact. And it's not just easy contact, it's easy line drive. He can hit line drives, doubles, triples at will. There's a little bit of home run power in there as well. He struck out twice this year. That's It's insane. And it's not like he was just a slap hitter while he was doing it. He hit a, he hit a couple of home runs, plenty of extra base hits. The, he You can't get a pitch by him. He's done it against, against top competition. He's done it consistently. The, the hit tool is a 70. He doesn't swing and miss, really, and he doesn't make soft contact. Now, in terms of power projection, I think he projects for probably about average power, but a comp I want to throw on him is Alex Bregman. Uh, both of these guys were both of these guys were smaller guys coming out of the SEC. They're both kind of six foot or just below. Uh, both SEC shortstops with slight defensive questions. Bregman ended up moving to third, where we can talk a little bit about Martin's defense in a little bit. He probably won't stick at shortstop. But they're both shorter SEC shortstops, right-handed hitters who are hit over power, who had exceptional plate discipline in college. Martin's actually had even better numbers. Bregman put up big numbers at LSU, but Martin has put up otherworldly numbers at Vanderbilt, and that's not a weak schedule they're facing. I think Martin is going to hit for at least average power, and I think given the way Bregman developed, I mean, Bregman's only, what, like 5'11"? Given the way he developed, I wouldn't be surprised if Martin, when I don't think he's going to hit 41 home runs like Bregman, but I wouldn't be surprised if we got 20, 25, 30 home runs at a peak especially if they keep juicing the baseballs like they've been doing. This kid is a legit baseball player. You, His play discipline and his hitting ability is uncanny. I think the power will come defensively. I think it, it he's got a good arm. He's a good athlete. He's unproven at shortstop. Um, he probably won't stick there. You could see second base. You could see third base. I think the Blue Jays are so stacked in the infield, it might just end up being what's open. Center field. Center field. It could push him to center field. He's got the speed to play there. He's got the athleticism. Of course, he's got the baseball savvy. Yeah, you pretty much hit every point on him you could. I agree with virtually everything. I think he was, as well, the best player overall in the draft. Obviously, Torkelson. It was a perfect fit for the Tigers, and I don't blame them a single bit for taking him. It was a perfect pit. When it comes to Martin, really surprised he fell to the Jays. They have to be jumping for joy doing cartwheels the whole nine yards. Five to a player, versatile, leadership, everything you could ask for. 
And for the team, for the Blue Jays, what they have with that young nucleus, he's going to be a big presence for them. I see him moving probably, like you said, off, off a shortstop. I don't think he's going to stick there. I don't think he's definitely not as good as uh, Bichette is at shortstop. Probably going to look at a move, either second or third, with Vlad right now playing third and probably looking at a move at DH in the future at all, honestly. But right now he's there at third. I think he has a chance to stick at center, like you touched on. I don't think he's ever going to be elite at center by any means, but he'll definitely be average to slightly above average out there. And with drafts. infield possibilities of Bichette, Biggio, Vlad, even Gurriel, throw throw Martin in the outfield and don't even pretend to put him in the infield with those guys. It's going to be such a stacked infield. I I won't even see where he could possibly fit in there. No, I I don't either. There's no no way that that team is stacked, and I love it. I love seeing how that's coming together in Toronto. You guys hit about everything. I could possibly say, but he's just such a natural leader and he's just such a Swiss army knife. He can do it all. I do want to highlight, he stole 43 bases in his Vanderbilt career in 136 games. So pretty impressive speed there. I think the home run, like you said, y'all said around 20, I'd say around 20, 25. Um, That's probably where I'm looking at. Great hit tool, obviously, but the speed, Man, what a, he's got a great combo all across the board. If he's a Bregman comp, how's his hearing tool? Can you hear the trash cans? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Toronto's pretty loud. I'm really glad that joke hit, guys. I'm really glad. <laughs> so we talked about that Blue Jays offense, stacked infield. Now you throw Martin into that. One thing outside of Pearson, they might need some pitching. They address that next with CJ Van Eek. Yeah, I really like him. He probably would have been a first rounder if not for the deep class in this year. Fastball works around 93, 95. Got a nice 12, 6 curve. Changeup still a bit of work in progress, but his arm's live and he's got really good arm action. So I believe he can definitely get that up to speed and make it about a lead average or slightly better pitch. I mean, he's got a really good feel for pitching. I just worry a little bit about his control and command. He averaged, I think it was four and a half or so walks per nine. A little bit of concern there. But if he can work that out a little bit, he's got a little tendency to drift and rush his delivery, making his arm lag a little bit. So just work on that a little bit. I think they'll be able to do a good job working with him and he has a chance to stick to starter. I think you're, you're absolutely right when you say that this is a first round arm in most, in most classes. Um, I mean, when you, you're talking, you know, you've got velocity, you've got a plus breaking ball, you've got a track record in the ACC. I think the only question, as you said, is the control and command. And in this stacked college pitching class that was enough to pitch him to drop him all the way to the second round so i think you're absolutely right when you say that uh i think you have a similar pitcher i'll I'll throw an interesting comp alex lang out of lsu he was a first round pick a couple of years ago to the cubs um he was getting talked about in the 20s he ended up slipping to 30 and i think van uh van eek is an even better even better pitcher to than that and to see him drop to the second round i think it's just a testament to the depth of pitching in this class and another example where the blue jays end up getting a win because of it these first two picks were were spot on for them. They they've got the offense they're building. They needed the pitching to build around Nate Pearson, and I think this does it. I mean, he's we've seen him perform at high level in college, and so he should be ready to go sooner than later. And so I do like I like this pick. Very very good value. So they get a starter in Van Eek. They follow up right afterwards with Trent Palmer. Looks to be a reliever. Am I seeing that right? Do you think he has any sort of starting potential or that's just going to be straight reliever arm out of there? I think it depends how he maintains his body. He's a little bit of a stockier guy, but I think he's got the velocity. He's trending up quick. He's got the velocity. He's got a really loose arm. I love the way his arm works. It's a really kind of clean arm action and it's it's run that fastball up to 96. I think the breaking ball and the changeup, they're good. 
I think they're solid pitches. They're not plus pitches, but I think they're solid. He tunnels them off each other well because he's he's learning to hit his spots and he's getting a lot more consistent with that. And when he tunnels those pitches, I think it's it's really hard to square up. Does he does he stick as a starter? I think there's a shot. I'd probably slide him in the bullpen just based on kind of the overall package. It's a little light to start, but I, I wouldn't bet against him. I, th- I love the way his arm works, and I think he could continue to, to sharpen that off-speed stuff. And, he, and I think he has a shot at starting. Well, the very next pick, I'm a little a little confused about because I know he was high on a lot of teams' boards, then he got injured, and he fell. Nick Frasso, how's the injury going to play? Is he still going to be good? Are the Blue Jays getting a steal here? I think if he bounces back healthy, I think he had some forearm, some forearm problems. He was shut down with forearm tightness two starts into the season, and that caused him to slip. But I think if he bounces back healthy, absolutely, they're getting a steal. I love, again, there's another guy, super athlete. He's like 6'5", kind of kind of gangly, kind of like really lanky guy. But despite all that, he controls his body really well. Great athlete. He, he can run his fastball up to 97. And it, it's not just a straight fastball. It's got a ton of life on it. He, it looks like he's releasing it right in front of your face because he's got those long, long arms. And Typically, when you talk about a guy that's everything I just said, command is usually questionable. With him, he's actually pretty good about hitting his spots. It just speaks to the tremendous athleticism you're talking to here. He was a high school basketball star. In terms of the off-speed stuff, again, it's solid slider. He doesn't really have much of a change-up yet because he pitched in relief up until this year. That's another reason he fell is because he doesn't have a track record of starting. Again, he can tunnel that fastball off the slider, and when he's releasing it right in front of your face, it's, it's a tough at-bat. And I think if the, his delivery is a little bit jerky, I think if the Blue Jays can smooth him out a little bit, which again, owing to his athleticism, I think they can. I think this kid's a starter. Um, now there's the durability question with the with the forearm, but I think the upside here is tremendous. And if he had stayed healthy and shown he could start over a full season, I think we'd be talking about a first round pick. Just the, the way it's just a super athlete and it's a combination of projectability and polish, not necessarily in the off speeds, but polish and the strike throwing ability and up to 98 or up to 97. I think I, I love this arm. I'm really interested to see how he develops and I really hope he stays healthy. And keep in mind, they're doing all this with having to pay Austin Martin more money. So they're getting all these guys on the cheap and, and they're still, you like these guys. These are good guys. Absolutely. I think this is a strong class. Well, the next pick I legitimately have zero information on, so I'm only going to assume he's the closer for the old Baltimore Orioles, current New York Yankees, Zach Britton. Great, great sinker. (laughs) Yeah, not exactly the same guy. Um, This one's an outfielder, so he's got actually a decent little hit tool. I grade it as a 50 future. It's not anything too special, but definitely league average. You're not going to really get too much power from him. I gather that as as a 35 right now. I don't really see too much coming in that department either. He's got a really good eye, works counts a lot. I think his ability to kind of make consistent contact hurts his ability to just consistently draw walks. But regardless, he's still going to draw those walks um, at a decent clip. He has some versatility people are talking about. I guess he played some catcher at some point. I'm not too familiar with it. He's probably going to have to stick in the outfield. The comp I have on him is not too impressive. Ben Gamel from the Brewers. But he's got a, he's got a decent little hit tool, so... I think it could work. He can, he can make he can make a little nice little roll for himself down the line. So you're saying that Buck Showalter is not going to leave him in the pen against Edwin Encarnacion? He might leave him on the bench, not in the pen. All right, all right. <laughs> well, that's it for the Blue Jays draft. Uh, next up is 
the spoiler for the Orioles. The Rays selected the high school stud that they wanted, Nick Bisco, advanced analytics darling. What do you guys think of him? I know you like him. This is my one of my favorite picks of the entire draft. One of the reasons it's my favorite is because of the Rays selecting him. Man, they are a match made in heaven, in my opinion. We've seen what they've done with pitchers, and man, he, I think he's the best prep pitcher in the class. He's only 17 years old. He reclassified from the 2021 class for this draft. I think he's got the best fastball and curve combo in the class, and I think I see a lot of Charlie Morton in him when I'm studying his film. He just resembles him a lot, and like I said, the Rays just develop pitching, and when the Rays do something, when they draft someone, when they trade for somebody... I trust it. Like they know what they're doing. And so again, this, this pick, I love it. Well, tell me, I know he played two ways in high school. Is he going to be a two way potential for the race? I don't know. I think, I think he sticks it at pitching. He was a hitter. He was a hitter. I know, I know, but he's so so good as a pitcher. Yeah, no, you're not messing right, with that right. as a hitter. You're, you're you're taking the bat right out of his hands. I don't think you're. you're they did that with Brendan McKay, but I think Brendan McKay also had a three year track record of raking in the uh, ACC. I don't think this guy's not going to hit. This, this kid's a pitcher. I agree yeah. exactly. Okay. My dreams can can last another day. I I, I just want to see a righty lefty pitcher hitter combo on the field at the same time, just constantly doing waxahachi swaps. I just want to see it. One day it'll happen. I thought Bisco was going to be the guy that helped me out. Hey, it could happen. They got someone down in their system right now. Tanner Dotson drafted, I think, in the first or second round last year. So might happen, but a few years away for sure. Oh, I can't wait. But yeah, Chris, Chris pretty much hit on the head. Um, the pick, the fit, everything was my favorite of the draft. The Rays just love those type of pitchers. High spin rate fastballs that work up in the zone. Um, his three-pitch mix, I his, he doesn't use a change up too much, but he definitely has a good feel for it when he does use it. It'll definitely come with time. And as he kind of progresses through the ranks, the Rays will more or less, I'm sure, make him kind of get that out there more. But that curveball is disgusting. It's a true wipeout pitch and going to be continuously through the next level and level and level. He is going to be a true ace. And I think the Rays knocked it out of the park with this. Is probably, this is definitely my favorite pick of the draft. Well, so they knocked it out of the park with him. And then they followed it up with... a. I, I was hearing it was questionable. I, I, I like the guy. Alika Williams out of Arizona State. Super acrobatic defender. Sure, he's limited with his with his bat, but it looked like he had good hitability. It looked like he was a good player, and I feel like a lot of people are down on him. What's going on? Alika Williams, tell me. Yeah, his like you said, his defense is really good, and he's definitely got plus defensive skills, and he can 100% stick at shortstop with Wander in the system. Not too sure where that lies, but he has the tools to stick there nonetheless. His arm is a little iffy. He kind of drops his arm angle a bit. And I, I think a move to second base is probably just going to be in the car just due to the fact that Wander's there. And he doesn't really profile as a hitter at third base. So at the plate, to touch on that, he doesn't really generate much power. He gets kind of poor extension. He's really stiff in extension and just his hips and all. Um, he's got a decent eye, but uh, not really driving the ball to the gaps. I think with the wooden bat, he's just, just going to kind of struggle. The comp I have on him is... The guy with the Mariners right now, J.P. Crawford, a former first-round pick with the uh, Phillies. From what I've seen, he's one of the best uh, just pure shortstops in the class, along with uh, Ed Howard. We know he's probably the best pure likely to stick there at the position, but uh, he's got a great glove there. I'm not sure how, how well he's going to hit, but he's got quick feet, which I like. Could, could lead to some steals. I think he's a good fielder. I do like him to stick at shortstop. I think so, too, and I think – if you if you move him to second base, I think you're going to have the best up middle defense in baseball because I think he he's so effortless on that side of the ball. 
I think you're going to have a gold glove middle infield if you move into second base. But I think that it's, it's so much fun to watch and play defense. And as a hitter, uh, I think it's at least a 50 hit. In terms of power, it's it's probably down around a 30, 35. He's not going to hit for a ton of power, but he, he finds the barrel pretty consistently, and he'll be a pretty consistent singles and maybe doubles and triples hitter. Um, in terms of home runs, maybe 5 to 10 a year. The glove, if he's going to start, it's going to be the glove that's going to get him there. The Rays, I think the thought with the Rays is he's going to hit just enough. I think he'll hit for a good average, good on-base percentage, and not, just, not so much in the uh, slugging percentage department. Okay, so you're calling him a Danny Heshavari. <laughs> he's got the cool name. To, to fit with it, Danny Hedgevaria. <laughs> um, the next two guys, Zach, I, I know you're high on them. Ian Seymour, Hunter Barnhart, polar opposites. You got a lefty collegiate in Seymour. You got a righty prep in Barnhart. Give me some information. Oh, I got to be high on Ian Seymour. Virgi- I went to Virginia Tech, and in my four years there, the, the highest draft. Uh, so you're just biased. <laughs> I don't want to know. That's it. That's it. Just biased. <laughs> the, the highest pick we had was uh, it was Packy Naughton in the ninth round of the Reds. Um, and he had like a six something ERA. So I didn't, when I was going to Virginia Tech, I was watching the other guys. Uh, but with Ian Seymour, you got to represent the Hokies right here. This kid's good. This kid, he was kind of a, a junk baller kind of earlier in his career. Not a ton of velocity. He kind of got around on deception, but out, he went out on the Cape and he was up to 94. And all of a sudden, he's not a junk baller anymore. He, this is That's no junk. But he's, he's not a junk baller, but he throws the kind of off-speeds that you see out of a junk baller. He's got basketball up to 94 from the left side, a great changeup that just fades and fades um, to the arm side. And he tunnels the two of them really well together. Uh, as you can tell, I'm a, I'm a fan of tunneling pitches. He's got a good slider. It's not necessarily a plus pitch, but it's, a, it's at least an average pitch. And together, I think what really makes everything play up is he's so good at hiding the ball. He's got a little bit of a funky delivery, but he controls it really well. And everything just plays up because you can't really see the ball out of his hands. You can't pick it up. It's really hard to kind of differentiate between his pitches and differentiate the location just because it's, it's such a funky delivery that he controls really well and he throws strikes with it. So is he a starter? I think so. I, I'd like to say he is uh, just based on how everything has always played up kind of above the grades on his pitches. And with the added velocity now up to 94, I think he sticks as a starter. He struck out 14 in his last start against Georgia Tech. It's a Virginia Tech ACC record in, in, in that last start. So I, I love this guy. I think he's going to be a really fun pitcher to watch. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lefty as well. Lefty hokey. I got to love, gotta love it. Except I, only, I, I don't throw 94. You're embodying yourself as Ian Seymour. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, here's someone you cannot embody yourself as. He's a high schooler and he's right-handed, Hunter Barnhart. You can't tell me you like him because of that. No, I just like Hunter Barnhart. I mean, I like he and Seymour because he's a great pitcher. I like Hunter Barnhart because he's a great pitcher as well. He's actually, he's almost like uh, Nick Bitsko light. Fastball, curveball, throws strikes. It's a similar pitcher. He doesn't, obviously, he doesn't throw 99 like Nick Bitsko does. He, he's more in the low 90s. But that was actually a big jump from he was in the upper 80s over the summer. He came out in the spring throwing low 90s, and that, that got scouts to sit up because he's already a guy with a plus curveball, big top-to-bottom shape. Uh, he's already a plus strike thrower, especially for a high schooler. Athletic kid, repeats his delivery really well. He's going to stick as a starter just because he's got the frame, he's got the athleticism, and he's now, now he's got the stuff. There are no safe bets in terms of high school pitchers. But as far as high school pitchers go, you're talking about a pretty complete profile. He doesn't really have much of a changeup yet. But, I mean, he's also a, a standout high school quarterback. This is one to watch, for sure. You say standout high school quarterback. I get vibes of Kyler Murray. Are we Are we losing no. him? No, we're not losing him to the NFL. Not this okay. one. <laughs> but, okay. Well, we mentioned the Rays having to move Alika Williams over to second base because they already have Juan DeFranco. 
And then they go and draft Tanner Murray, another shortstop. Is he sticking it short? Is he moving somewhere? Is he just organizational depth? Is he anything? I think Murray is absolutely moving before Williams. I think the uh, the arm is a little fringier. Uh, I think he he's probably a second baseman right off the bat, especially now that they drafted Illegal Williams. But with Murray, I think you're going for the bat. This is a guy who makes plus contact uh, in terms, and I'm just talking contact when I say that. He he doesn't drive the ball with a ton of authority yet, but he finds the bat really really easily. Uh, so much so that he actually rarely walks. He rarely strikes out. The ball's in play almost every time he's up. Not so much of a slap hitter. He's more of a line drive guy, but he he just finds the bat so easily, and he has hit. I think he's hit over 340 over at UC Davis. He, there's a little bit of power projection there. He hasn't tapped really any of it yet, but he, he's six two. He's got he's got it. Got some room to fill out. I think he could get close to average power if he wants to go that route. It's probably more of a utility infield profile, just because that might come at the expense of his hit tool. He already doesn't walk a lot, but I, I think he's he's going to be moving to second base before Illegal Williams for sure. Okay. Okay. Now finishing off the draft, they grab my personal favorite. Jeff Hackinson, he's a strikeout machine. He, in the shortened season last year, he uh, did 21 strikeouts per nine. I think it was 20 20 out of 28 batters he faced, he struck him out. And that's not just small sample size. The last year, he struck out 18 per nine. He's a K machine. The Rays got a steal at the end of the draft. The Rays are developing every pitcher. What's not to say this guy's going to be another all-star? Oh, I think the thing stopping from being an all-star is just the fact that he's a strict reliever. He's not going to be a starter. He's a strict reliever. He could be a all-star closer. He definitely has that potential. It's pretty insane the deception he's getting. Like he is getting crazy extension and drive towards the plate. He's got a lot of little moving parts. It's tough to pick up the ball from him. He's working on about the 93 to 96 range with good arm side run. And like I said, just really good deception. And he misses a ton of bats with the the, sharp, the slider. Flashes a lot of sharp bite, but it's pretty kind of inconsistent. But I definitely, like I said, I'm a fan of any for the most part race pitcher. I give them the benefit of the doubt with that. Uh, development process they got going on there so i think he could turn into a high leverage reliever and probably pretty quickly and he's, he's a hometown guy too the, this kid went to jesuit high school in tampa um before heading off to ucf for college so it, that's another it's another cool little thing about him is race fans can root for one of their own i have him as the first up i have him as the as the first in helping out of the pin next year this year hopefully if we play Everyone else, I feel like, you know, take some time, develop them properly. Hackinson, go up there, start right now. Yeah, I'm not start, relieve. Yeah, absolutely, relieve. Um, if we get a season this year, which who knows at this point, not going to even speculate on that right now, I definitely could see him be a part of that taxi squad or even a part of that extra little roster spots. He's got the fastball. He's not going to need to be needed at the end of the bullpen. They got more than enough guys to kind of handle that role, but you toss him in fifth, sixth inning roll cleanup, see how he does, and... If he goes out there striking out, like you said, 21 an inning, maybe you got yourself a reliever to come up for some uh, playoff run, and it's a guy that no one has seen before. Do I hear an opener? <laughs> Ooh, with the Rays? That could actually yeah, the be. The Rays could do it. I could actually see it now that they, they did that a lot with Stanek last year uh, before they traded him for the Marlins. After they kind of traded him, they were a little less likely to use that role, and I kind of read something that they're moving a little more out of that system now that the fact that they have just guys that can handle a full workload so i still see them kind of using the opener in a one or two um spots on rotation moving forward but they got so many arms in that system moving forward so i'm sure they're gonna be able to find five that can last in a system or a starting rotation but i wouldn't put it past them and anything can pass the raise to be honest he could really strive in any situation so being the raise 
they're going to knock it out of the park. They always do well drafting. They always do well developing. Moving on down the draft board, we have the surprise of the draft. The real what everyone was talking about, the Boston Red Sox selecting Nick York. Some people saw him as the third rounder, and they get him, what, 17th overall? This one originally seemed like they were punting the draft, but is there more to this? Is York something special? I'm going to go out and say York is totally legit. He was he was one of my kind of favorite hitters pre-draft. I saw a lot of people were having him outside the top 100. I saw I put more of a second-round grade on him. I, I love the hit tool. Um, there are people on the West Coast who talk about him as the best pure hitter on the West Coast. And I think he projects for a little bit of power as well. I don't think he's going to be a true power hitter, but it's a real. if you look at video of his swing, it's a really sweet right-handed swing, really quick, generates plenty of leverage. Uh, he's six foot, so he's not the biggest guy in the world, but I think he gets everything He gets everything out of that swing that he can, and it's not out of control. It's a very controlled swing. I, I love the swing. I love the hit tool. I think this kid's going to hit for sure. I don't fault the Red Sox, especially since they went under slot with this, it looks like. I don't fault the Red Sox at all for this pick. There are people who think he's going to move to second base. That's probably going to be the case, though he also was coming back from an arm injury this year, so we didn't just didn't get to see him at shortstop as much. I think there's still a chance. He, he's a good defender, quick quick little, quick little kid. Probably second base, but I wouldn't give up on shortstop just yet. But they're, they're buying the bat, and especially at under slot, I think this kid's going to hit. He's going to hit for high averages. He's going to get on base. He's a grinder. And I think he's going to get get to uh, at least average power as well. I, I don't think this is – a lot of Red Sox fans are really angry about this pick. I, I'd say don't. I think this kid's legitimate. He's a, he's a real hitter. Yeah, the Red Sox loved it. You love it, and so do I. I think it was a really good pick, and especially what they were able to do with their next pick, it definitely led into it. But, yeah, I love the hit tool. As you said, I'm glad you touched on it, the arm. I definitely do think he ends at second base as well, but there's no real to tell right now. Like I haven't really seen the guy throw from shortstop legitimately in about a year and a half, two years. So his arm's still kind of coming back. So you got to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt right now, give him a chance to stick there. But as he moves forward, like you said, probably going to see him at second base. Um, I think he was actually drafted as the second baseman. Yeah, yeah, he was. I so. I, I, they'll probably stick him directly there just due to the arm. They might give him a shot to stick at short. Probably not, but we'll see. But yeah, I think he resembles a lot of just a former Red Sox player. Not going to say he's going to be that talented or anything, but he reminds me a lot of Dustin Pedroia. And he has Pedroia, like you said, not a big power hitter. Neither is York, but was able to kind of find some seasons where he found 15, maybe 20 homers, but going to kind of settle in about 10 to 12 homers per season and just be about a 300 hitter per year. This was probably the most interesting pick in the draft. Uh, again, another one off the radar. I, I hadn't even looked into York that much prior to the draft. You know, I expected third or fourth round, so hadn't done much evaluation. And then this pick comes out of nowhere. My understanding was the Red Sox were pretty much already had a deal with Mick Abel. Um, then he goes to the Phillies at 15th, so kind of, I thought, varied the plan. But then I under, come to understand that this was the Red Sox play all along, which was quite interesting that they had targeted him from the beginning. They didn't have a pick until later, so they, they wanted him and they didn't feel confident um, that he'd get back to them by their next pick. Um, you guys did had a great breakdown of him, but he does have a good hit tool. I kind of doubted that at first, but looking into him, I really like the hit tool that he offers. He's got a very advanced uh, approach to the plate, and hearing people like saying that he's the best hitter on the West Coast, man, that's pretty impressive. Lofty comparisons, so I like that. Um, and if the Red Sox, again, they are great evaluators of talent. So Red Sox fans, trust the pick. I know not a lot of you are happy, but just trust it. Trust the process. Um, we'll see how this plays out. Now, playing devil's advocate here, it sounds like, because 
consensus on most boards, he was outside the top 100. So it sounds like what a lot of people are doing is kind of reverse engineering it to be, oh, York is better than what people think. If all the consensus boards say he's outside the top 100, what did we miss? I, I think a little bit had to do with his, people not really thinking he would be 100% signable. So I think his rank dropped a tad due to it. But obviously the Red Sox were in communication with him and they knew what they wanted to do. They had a plan and they got to it and they they successfully uh, applied it. But I'm not too sure, honestly. Like it's it's a weird situation. Okay. So I want to go on the record and we, say I put a second round grade on him. I don't. I don't. I never really bought into that. I I think he, he's legit. Okay. So got to plug myself real we, quick. so we have york as the surprise and then the very next pick is one of the most famous names in this draft he's been famous since he was 13 years old hitting 500 foot home runs blaze jordan he fell to the third round was it signability is he just not as uh, hyped up as everyone thought he was why did blaze fall here could be signability issues maybe there's some concern in his swing i love Blaze Jordan, he's, he's an 80-grade uh, name at least. Love the name, Blaze Jordan. But I think he <laughs> could be the steal of the draft. I'm going to go ahead and put that on the record. Steal of the draft. The raw power is unreal. And you mentioned at 13 years old, hitting a 500-foot, multiple 500-foot home runs. That is insane. Wow. Insane. Last year we saw him at the high school home run derby. I'm just dominating that, which was fun to watch. He won't even be 18 until December. And so, again, another guy that reclassified from the 2021 class. So he's still very young. I think a lot of similarities to another Red Sox prospect, uh, Tristan Casas there. A lot of raw power. Yeah, I mean, he's pounds the ball. I think there's some concerns with the hit tool. But, man, that power is probably some of the best in the class, in my opinion. I really, really like the pick. I mean, it's, it's not common for a 13-year-old to hit 500-footers. <laughs> this kid has uncommon power. <laughs> It's just if he can put the bat on the ball. Uh, and I think he's a guy, again, I think if you're if you're hitting 500-foot home runs and your name is Blaze, I don't know how the hype is not going to come to you. Um, I, I don't think you can avoid that. But I think he's the kind of guy, when it comes to the hit tool, it, he might have been better off not reclassifying because he had an uneven summer uh, before coming into this year where he, w- he was a year younger than most of the other guys he was going up against. He's kind of uneven. Uh, he swung through a lot of pitches. But again, he's facing older competition. I think potentially if he hadn't reclassified and he had another summer to go out, I think he would have made the adjustments and we could be talking about a much a much safer pick. But right now there are questions about the hit tool. It's a little bit of a choppy swing, which just makes it all the more unbelievable about how far he hits the ball. But once they smooth that out, and I think just once he gets older, th- there is the potential for, for an average hit tool or better. Uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. And I think if with the name Blaze, I think we're all going to be watching him. So I'm excited to track this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and how about that fit in Fenway? Jesus. That's going to be crazy to see. But, yeah, I love the pick. Like I said, the fit's great. I'm not too sure if six at third base, probably moving right to first base. The footwork, the hands aren't too good. But it doesn't matter, really matter with him. The bat's going to play, and he's going to have potential to hit over 40 homers a year. Yeah, his hands and his head stay really quiet at the plate. He's got elite bat speed, but... Like you said, a lot of swing and miss right now, and the hit tool is just not there right now. But there's a little bit to project on. So as of now, I have him as a 40-hit tool future, but there's definitely room to uh, improve in there for sure. So they've got two high school kids with a lot of conversation around them, whether it's good conversation or bad. 
And then they followed up with two lefty college pitchers, Jeremy Wu Yelland and Shane Drohan. Out of Hawaii, it makes sense that I've never heard of them. Florida State, I should know this guy. Why don't I know this guy? Do I just not follow baseball well enough? Well, well Drohan was actually a pretty well-known prospect coming out of uh, high school. He was, there, he was getting some you know fourth, fifth-round grades coming out of high school in South Florida. But he, uh, he was a signability guy. I felt he wanted to go to Florida State. So he's a pretty well-known name. I think if we want to go out of order here, Drohan, his fastball is up to 95. He's got a good curve. From the left side, that's really good. I think... The command is a little bit fringy. Um, we've been kind of, he's been the kind of guy that you're just waiting for him to put it together. Uh, he hasn't quite done that, but he's also not quite a raw pitcher. He's kind of a tweener in that regard, in that the stuff is, is pretty good. The command is average or, or a bit below. You're kind of hoping once he puts it together, I think if he just gets a little bit better with that strike throwing, I think he could be a successful starting pitcher. I think if he gets a little bit sharper with the stuff, he give you a successful starting pitcher. So there's a lot of things he could do that could get himself to being that kind of number four guy. He's an athletic guy, and from the left side, everything plays up. But for now, he's a little bit of a tweener. Um, could get forced to the bullpen, where I think the fastball curveball combination will play up. But he, he's an interesting arm for sure, and I think out in the fifth round, this this is a good one to go roll the dice on. Uh, also, it turns out Drohan was in the Florida State weekend rotation, so I just suck at watching baseball. Drohan scares me a little bit. Uh, just from the command issues, <clears throat> last year, in 2019, he walked 8.4 batters per nine innings. It knocked that down a little bit this year and shortened season to 5.6. Uh, still, like, just not good at all. The strikeout upside is, is pretty big, and so I think he's definitely a, a bullpen risk. Um, but the Red Sox really love this pick. Like, they love the value here that they got. And so, again, I think we've got to trust their – their scouting team and and believe that this could work out, but I I just that command is just not right not there right now, and he's really gonna have to refine that I think to to make it to the big league level. Now, like I said, Wu Yelland out of Hawaii, I don't know it. I don't know anything about him. I see he's got a sub point seven ERA. That seems incredible, but it's limited pitching. Tell me about him. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He's a, a, a lefty out of Hawaii. He's been up to 96 with his fastball, so that's definitely his his main tool right there. A, a, a lefty fastball up to 96 is always going to turn heads. The rest of his game is kind of is fairly fringy. Um, the command is all right. The uh, the stuff is inconsistent. Uh, he flashes kind of a, an above average breaking ball, but it, it's been relatively inconsistent. It's interesting that he he struggles with command the way he does because he's got a watching him pitch. He's got a very balanced. Uh, very balanced delivery. I think it's pretty clean delivery overall. Sometimes he struggles to repeat the arm slot a little bit. So the Red Sox are hoping they can clean him up a little bit in that regard. But you're buying, he's probably a reliever. You're buying the lefty fastball up to 96. Um, he, he turned a lot of heads this spring. He, t- he tossed four shutout innings against Vanderbilt, struck out six in, in that relief appearance. He's, he's been a reliever uh, for most of his time at Hawaii. That you could potentially put him in the in the rotation, especially the Red Sox aren't super deep on pitching prospects. But it would take some significant refinement to get there. Probably a reliever long term, maybe a long reliever. But I think there's upside here, and he's he's young for the class. He just turned 21, or he or he maybe hasn't even turned 21 yet. Talking Red Sox inevitably in every conversation will always lead to talking Yankees, and here we are, one of the the, the last team in the AL East to draft. The Yankees weren't working with much draft capital, and they grabbed. The best player available on their board, catcher Austin Wells. The bat first guy, is he going to stick at catcher? Do you need him to stick at catcher? You got Gary Sanchez. Quick answer, no, he will not stick at catcher. I definitely see him moving out. 
I think he's athletic enough to probably play outfield. I see him being a left fielder. If not, he can move over to first base and just rake. The bat's going to play regardless of where you put him. Um, honestly, other than many of these guys, like I mentioned before, with the organizational fits, just strictly park fit, I don't know if there's a much better one than Austin Wills in Yankee Stadium. It's going to be fun to watch him just poke balls out to left or right, excuse me, and just hit about 30-plus homers a year with great on-base percentages, just all around a really strong hitter, good plate coverage. I'm a big fan of the pick. Obviously, like you said, they have Gary Sanchez. They drafted Siegler last year, so they got catching depth. Not going to stick there, so and they're not going to really need him to, which is going to be a good thing for his uh, potential. And the bat should move pretty quickly. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw it be one of the quicker college bats move through the system, just for the fact he's not going to stick a catcher. And the comp I got on him is... Uh, Cubs outfielder Kyle Schwerber, another former catcher. Does he go to first? Does he go to left? What's what's his positional transition? If I had to choose one, I'll say he has a, enough to stick it left. I don't I don't think he'll okay. be too much of a liability out there. I think you're absolutely right about that bat. That, that's a bat that I'm absolutely in love with. I love this pick for the Yankees. It was one of my favorite picks of the entire first round. Um, and to tell you how much I love it, I'm a Nationals fan and picking at number 22. I was hoping the Nationals would select well. I knew they wouldn't. That's not their style, but that's who I had my fingers crossed for. And to get him at 28, I think the Yankees are getting one of the best all-around bats in this class, period. This guy can hit for power. He can hit for average. He can get on base. He's a patient hitter. He finds the barrel really consistently. He's hit everywhere he's gone. The Yankees actually drafted him out of high school, out of Bishop Foreman in Las Vegas. Didn't sign. He went to Arizona, and he's just raked for – the, the two years or the just just a little bit less that he was there. He raked on the Cape. This kid has just never, ever stopped hitting. He has a great approach at the plate. Um, he's good at hunting his pitch, and when he gets it, he doesn't miss it. The power is, is above average. The hit tool is above average. Uh, it Plus, maybe on the power, but I don't think we're quite there yet, and I think that might be why he fell a little bit to the end of the first round because it he's only hit seven home runs in Arizona so far, but he also hit seven on the Cape. So... I think this guy gets to 30 home runs a year. I think the Yankees have a real impact bat on their hands all around. And and even if it looks like he's not going to stick a catcher, he, he wants to. He's talked about how he wants to. Don't know if that's in the cards. But even if, if he doesn't, I think the bat plays no matter where you put him. I love this pick for the Yankees. They're going to get a legit, a legit hitter. And he's going to be to the big leagues fairly quickly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even no matter where he ends up, the bat will play. The home run numbers don't really speak to his power potential. Uh, there's a lot in that bat, even more to the fact that throughout his college career, he had a 476 on base percentage. That's something in the Pac-12. Very impressive to speak of there. So he's a great on base guy. He's got a, I mean, he's got a good bat. He's going to hit for decent average. And in Yankee Stadium, he's just going to mash balls out. Like I think he definitely gets to 30 home runs. Could be if he taps into that raw power that I think he has, he could get probably get to 35. Schwarber's a great comp. I like that a lot. Another guy who was a catcher and came off. And so I really like this pick. The Yankees got tremendous value, and they do a great job with player development. Just one of those organizations that, that does that so well. And so I really think this bat is going to just be a spark for their lineup. He'll be up quick. Could be the first one from this class up um, to the majors. We'll see. This year could be interesting how it plays out. So who knows? But I do like this pick a lot for the Yankees. So the Yankees didn't have a second or a fifth round pick because of that Garrett Cole signing. So you had to move on to the third round to figure out. They went from Arizona to Arizona State, grabbing Trevor Halver. Utility player mostly, good bat. I, I saw it as a good bat. T- tell me about him. 
I'm not the scout here. Tell me what you see. Yeah, with I'm kind of hoping you guys have a little more positive outlook than I do because I'm not a huge fan of this pick in general. Decent little hitter, but for the most part, just a line drive approach. Not going to hit too many homers. Maybe Nagy Stadium might be able to get some, but um, he's got good bat to ball skills. He's drafted as a second baseman, played left field down in college. He really couldn't stick in the infield due to just a better defensive infield at Arizona State. So they just stuck him in left, let his bat kind of play a little bit. I probably see that happening a little bit again throughout the Yankee system. Probably going to have to stick out in left field, and he's really going to have to hit, which I just don't really see him doing over the long term. He's probably going to look at the fourth outfielder role, kind of a guy who can play in the outfield a little bit in the infield. Not too excited about this pick. Like I said, hopefully you guys can give Yankee fans a little more to root for here. I don't think I, I'm quite so pessimistic as you are. I don't love this pick by any means, but I really don't hate it. He has a nice track record at Arizona State. Um, he's, he's hit, especially you take out his freshman year. I mean, he's hit pretty much nonstop since the start of his sophomore year at Arizona State. He's hit for power, he's hit for average. Now, that's it's a friendly offensive environment that you're playing in there. So it comes with a little bit of a caveat. And when he went to the Cape, he continued to hit on the Cape, but it wasn't for power. Uh, his power kind of, at least in that small sample, the power was non-existent with wood bats. So that's a little bit of cause for concern. But I like the swing. It's He comes from a little bit of a wider setup, but it's a quick swing nonetheless from the left side. Uh, he gets some good loft on. It's a little bit of an uppercut. And I think the power will get to, to average, and I think he'll tap it once, it once he gets a little bit stronger uh, little, as he continues to, to develop. Uh, again, I think it's a little bit of a tweener kind of guy in that he doesn't really hit quite enough to start. I think he could, and anything is possible, but I think the Yankees are most likely getting kind of a platoon bat here. But with the way he's hit so consistently at Arizona State and the uh, the numbers he's put up there, and, and again, I like the swing, I think it's going to be... I think I think he's going to be okay. I, I don't think they're getting a star here by any means, but I think he's going to be okay. So you're saying kind of like a more just a, he's pretty safe, not really high upside. I'd say so, yeah. Um, and I think it's also a money saving pick. Good point. A little bit. The Yankees doing a, a money saving pick. <laughs> I mean, we all we all are working with these with these uh these bonus pools. So the bonus pool doesn't discriminate, except to the Astros because they got nothing to spend because of it. <laughs> cool. All right, last pick of the Yankees. Now the last pick of the AL East. We're looking at Beck Way, drafted in the fourth round, 129th overall. Juco player, looks like he was committed to LSU. Looks like the numbers are off the charts. He's made some real improvements on his walk rate in the last year. Tell me about him. Is he is he legit? Are these numbers real? This kid is totally legit. A lot of people have him as the best uh, junior college arm in the class, which is saying something when you got a 6'8 lefty over at San Jack who throws 105. Uh, we'll talk about him a, a little bit later. But Beck Way is a really interesting arm. He comes from a, almost a sidearm. It's, it's a low three-quarters, almost sidearm arm slot. But it's a really great three-pitch mix. He runs that fastball up into the mid-90s pretty consistently. Uh, he's got a very good slider, um, great changeup. And again, the catalyst right here is the, the command has really made some improvements. It's now, I'd, I'd say it's above average command at this point, And that enables him to really kind of, again, I love to talk about the tunneling. He tunnels his pitches off each other really well. And he, he can locate his pitches around the zone tax hitters with three above average pitches and even though it's a lower arm slot i think he repeats it really well um especially with that with those improvements in the command i, th- I think he's got the body to start i think this kid's a starter until uh, you, you, th- you run this kid out as a starter and i think he's going to stick there this is a really really interesting arm it's probably a little bit of a, an overslot pick um signing him away from lsu probably where they save money on uh, trevor hover but i, I mm-hmm. love this arm it's a at 129 this is great value this kid 
this kid can pitch. Okay. Yeah, I just saw a bullpen recently, not recently, but within the last couple months or so of him, he was touching 96 and 2,400 RPMs on the fastball, and he had 100% spin efficiency. So it was a bullpen, like I said, but it's there's definitely a lot to like here with him, like uh, like Zach was touching on. Okay. Well, I, I got to ask you guys. We got all five teams listed. We've gone through all five. Who's your player to watch in the AL East that just got drafted? Don't give me Austin Martin. Don't give me any of that. Give me a player outside of the round one. Who's your player to watch? I think it's the guy we just talked okay. about, Beckway. I, I think he honestly has. But if he would have went to LSU, I think we were looking at the first round talent in a year or whenever he kind of decided to come out. I really do believe that he, like like uh, Zach said, he has a lot of improved command and control, and his plus pitches, his sliders, in my opinion, one of them has potentially be one of the better pitchers in the draft if he can get more consistency with it. But it has flashes of being a very plus-plus pitch. And then his changeup has a lot of vertical fade that is paired nicely with his slider and fastball. So I'm a big fan. I think he has a lot to show and definitely a lot to prove coming out of Juco. So Got well, Chris, give me yours. I'm going to go with uh, Kobe Mayo, Orioles pick. Ooh, I think ooh, he'll ooh. be very interesting to watch. And uh, Zach, I'm going to go with uh, Nick Frasso, the kid out of Loyola Marymount, headed to the Blue Jays. Again, I love the way that kid's arm works. Six, you just don't kind of you don't really see these kind of guys. He's six five, gangly. He looks super uncoordinated, but then he goes out and he's pounding the zone with a fastball that he's releasing right in front of your face. As I said, the arm works really well. He's a super athlete. I think with pro coaching to kind of smooth him up. I think this could be a really, really high upside pick. Now, he's currently recovering from that forearm injury. So if he doesn't come back healthy, this is going to blow up in my face. So praying that he comes back healthy. But that's a really, really interesting arm to watch. You can always lean on Ian Seymour. We all know that you love him. I love him. You are him. So you can always lean on him as well. Uh, for me, I got to go to the videos that I was watching and I was falling in love with. Anthony Servideo. I know some of y'all weren't saying his bat wasn't going to play. But what I was watching was some beauty, beauty stuff right there. So that wraps up the AL East. We'll be doing the podcast from East Coast to West Coast, so be sure to subscribe to the pod. If you like this, rate and review. It really helps us get off the ground running. If you haven't already, go read our daily articles over at prospectsworldwide.com. And be on the lookout soon for the NL East. We're doing that podcast next. I'd like to thank my co-host Jake Tillinghast, as well as the guests that obviously are a lot smarter than me, Zach Silverman and Chris Clegg. Guys, where can they find you, and do you have anything to plug? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Jake Tillinghast 27. Like I said, just give our site a look. We got a lot of stuff on there, a lot of reports, scouting reports, articles on prospects all over the world, KBO, MLB, minor leagues. So a lot of stuff coming, Cuba, MPB. So got a lot of stuff to look at and a whole lot more to come on the podcast. So should be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm Zach Silverman. You can find me on Twitter at uh, ZachMatt4, uh, Z-A-C-K-M-A-T-T-4. I just joined the uh, Prospects Worldwide team, so you can find my first articles coming up there soon. Yeah. And I'm Chris Clegg. You can find me on Twitter at Roto Clegg, C-L-E-G-G. I'm excited. I'm just joined the uh, Prospects Worldwide team also. I'm super excited about that. I'll be covering the Red Sox, and I'll have a full breakdown of their draft coming out. Also, a Chris Davis deep dive, uh, K. Riss, the man. I think a big rebound there. You can also find me writing about fantasy baseball at Roto Fanatic. Um, I've been do- working on a, sh- a short series um, called One Hit Wonders, looking at different targets for shortened season in fantasy baseball for different categories, and also just published a full fantasy breakdown of the entire first round 
and other relevant fantasy players over there on the site. So you can check that out at Roto Fanatic. And you can find me also here on the site, which I'm excited to be a part of. And I'm John Giles. You can find me on Twitter at, at Puma Revive. That's P-U-M-A Revive. Long story in college, and it's I'm, I'm in too deep to change it now, so it's sticking. Uh, you can find me writing articles on prospectsworldwide.com. Guys, thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you next time here at Prospects Worldwide.